Well, if you want to turn to page 35 in your pew Bibles, you'll find our Bible reading this morning. Our first character in this series is Jacob. We're going to read Genesis 32, verses 1 to 32, and Michael will read the first 21 verses for us. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met with him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahanam. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained here till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maidservants. Now I am sending this message to my God, and I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought, If Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who has sent me, who, I'm sorry, who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I am only my staff when I crossed. I had only my staff when I crossed um, this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He said that he spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels and their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servant, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you are to say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead, but he himself spent the night in the camp. Thank you, Michael. Picking up again then at verse 22. Don't worry, Mark. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And the man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip 
so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As Philip uh, said earlier in the service, we are starting a new series, uh, Never Beyond Hope. And you will find it helpful if you have Genesis chapter 32 in front of you. Uh, we meet uh, Jacob, well-known uh, patriarch, and verse 7 tells us that he is in great fear and distress. Uh, great fear and distress. The, the title uh, of the sermon is uh, hope for the unhappy. Well, it, I would like just to say it's for the unhappy, it's for the very unhappy, and it's for the totally devastated, because that is how we see uh, Jacob this morning. And before we go any further, let's just pray. Hope of the hopeless, help of the helpless, guide of the lost. Lord Jesus, inform our minds, quicken our spirits, enable us to embrace the hope, the help the guidance which you so graciously offer. In your name, amen. There's a, a lot about dysfunctional families on the telly at the moment. And uh, maybe occasionally you've had the experience as, to be honest, we have had, which is, are we seeing signs of this dysfunction in our own family? You ever been there? Well, if you have, the place you don't want to go to is the book of Genesis. Because there, well, there are wonderful examples of how dysfunctional 
a family can get. If you need more instructions about that, go there. And what about Jacob and his family? Well, let's do a a three-minute scalp through about four chapters just to refresh your minds about uh, Jacob. His father was Isaac, his mom was Rebekah, and they had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And the boys were as different as chalk and cheese. Indeed, more different because chalk and cheese have the same kind of color. These boys were totally different even in color. Esau was red. He was very hairy. Isaac wasn't red. I imagine him as being pale, anemic, and he just about managed some hair on his head. Totally different in appearance. Totally different in personality and outlook. Uh, Esau was big, bold, not exactly the sharpest tool in the box, but he, he, he would have been made a sportsman. He would have been a wonderful second row forward if he could have jumped. He was out hunting, and he lived for the moment. Jacob, well, he was quiet. He was a mummy's boy. He liked to stay around the tents at home, and she taught him how to bake. Now, if anybody's like that, I'm not pouring any, uh, you know, I know I can offend people, I'm just sketching these two personalities. Uh, But their differences were even greater. Jacob, his name means deceiver twister. And the two boys, there was sibling rivalry. Boy, it started even before they were born, believe it or not. Uh, the, The scripture tells us that the boys struggled in their mother's womb. And when they came out, one was the twister, the Sly, slimy. The, the, the word that comes to mind to me is slick it. Do you know that word? Okay, I've, I've got you. Have I? Maybe some of you don't know what sleek it is. It, he was sleek it, and Esau, to carry on that kind of language, was a big coof. Do you, are you with me? No? My generation is the rest. Uh, look up a, a, an Ulster Scots dictionary or something. And he took advantage of his brother. His brother came in famished from out hunting. He said, oh, I'm nearly dying. And he smelt Jacob's stew. And he said, give me that stew. Oh, that stew's wonderful. It's red stew. Oh, my favorite. And Jacob said, of course, give me your birthright. And the big coof gave him his birthright just for a bit of stew. 
Later, when the father was near his death, Jacob's mother, Rebecca, yeah, I'm not sure I would have trusted her too far, she said, your brother's a way out. Come on, I'll dress you up like your brother so that you can go pretend to be the brother and steal the blessing. And so he got on his brother's clothes. He got on animal skin so that he could be as hairy as his brother. He deceived his blind father who was beginning to dote. And he stole the, the blessing. When the brother Esau came back, he had to think about fleeing, especially when he heard Esau saying to others, when dad goes, I'll get this wee sleeket. Beep, you know. So he fled. And he fled to his mother's brother, his uncle. He was called Laban. And he had the same genes that was in the family. He then deceived poor Jacob, who thought, having worked seven years, he was getting Rachel, who was a stunner. And after the wedding and the marriage night, he woke up, and who did he have beside him? Weak-eyed Leah. Boy, was he angry and disappointed. And I wonder how Leah felt. Have you ever imagined that? We're never told how the girls felt in Genesis. Anyway, he had been deceived. He worked further for, uh, to get the girl he really wanted. And then there was bother. Bother over the animals. And finally he decided that he would trick Laban, who had tricked him, and skip and run. Laban chased him and would have killed him if it hadn't been for a, a dream that he received. And now we come to Genesis 32. And there we discover, having managed to survive and not be harmed by Laban, it's out of the frying pan into a much hotter fire. So what do we learn? We learn he was having to go home and he learnt that Esau was coming with 400 men. Esau, the last time he had seen Esau, he was fuming and determined to kill him. What was he going to do? Well, here we can learn from him. He prayed and he prepared, or rather, he prepared, he prayed, and he prepared. He thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I know, I'll divide the family in two, and if he comes and wipes one of us out, the other group may survive. And then he thought, oh, I'll pray. And he prays, and his prayer is a very good prayer, and we'll return to it in a minute. And then he got, I, I did the sums, I think it's 550 animals. Sheep, goats, camels, what have I left out? Donkeys. He got 550 of them. He, he spaced them out in, 
in small groups, sent somebody ahead so that when Esau was coming in fully armed and his 400 men raring to go, this group of animals would come and they'd say, oh, who are you? Where are you taking these animals? And they would say, uh, these are Jacob's and they're for, for his brother Esau. And they said, oh? And then a little later, another group, same thing. A little later, another group. Jacob thought, maybe with all these presents coming and coming and coming, he'll calm down and we will survive. Okay, what does this story have to say to us today? It's all right retelling stories, but what have they got to say to us today? Well, I'm going to highlight three things. God's intervention, the people's unworthiness, and Jacob's struggle. First of all, God's intervention. Time and again in this story, God intervenes. When he was first fleeing from Esau, he came to Bethel, and there he had a vision, and God spoke to him, and God assured him that he was with him, and that he would return. And Jacob set up a mound of stones to remind him and as a memorial of that wonderful vision of God that was given him. Then when he was escaping from Laban, God spoke to him again and said, go back to the land of your fathers and I will be with you. When Laban caught up with him, another dream. And God said to Laban, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Don't pick a fight with him. And the next day when Laban met him, he said, I was going to have it out with you, but during a night the Lord spoke to me not to pick a fight. And they made a covenant at Mizpah. And then at the beginning of our chapter, and now let's look at it, <clears throat> we read verses 1 and 2. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahanaim. Well done, Michael, on the Hebrew. Which means two camps. He realized when he was escaping that there were two camps, not just his. There was also the camp of the angels. God was still with him. His forces were there accompanying Jacob all the time. God had made a promise, and God keeps his promises. 
Now that's a lesson for us. God didn't only make promises to the patriarchs. He made promises to his people, their descendants, and he made promises to their, if you like, spiritual descendants, us. The promises of the Old Testament extend to the people of God in the New. And the Son of God, Jesus, who came as the full revelation, what wonderful promises he has made. What wonderful promises, and he keeps them. Tomorrow, there will be a funeral service here at noon. There will be a committal in the crematorium at 3, 3.30, I think. And we will be focusing on the promises of God, the sacrifice of Christ, which seals them with his resurrection and thankfulness for the life of our late sister, greatly missed, greatly respected. God's promises. And we're not really challenged as to whether we believe and accept God's promises or not until we're up against it. And that's when we're challenged. Do I really believe this. Jesus promises always to be with his disciples. Jesus promises to receive any who would come on to him. I could recite the rest of the sermon, could simply be a, 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 a recital of promises of God, and he keeps them all. Sometimes not the way we think, but he keeps them all. And that gives hope to the unhappy, the very unhappy, and the despairing. To you and to me, whatever state we are in. Second point. And here we turn to uh, Jacob's prayer in verse uh, 10, well, 9. Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. Now, it looked very unlikely that that promise was going to be kept because Laban was breathing down his neck. And what did he say, going on into verse 10? I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. They weren't worthy. He knew the family was a crowd of twisters, deceivers, and cheats. And the book of Genesis the record of Holy Writ gives many examples of that. And yet, God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. They were unworthy, but God is faithful. Sometimes when we're talking to people, 
people about trusting Jesus, people about uh, committing our lives to him, oh, they say, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. They think back to past decisions. Deep regret at things they've decided or done in the past which can't be undone. Things they've had to do to stay in work. Cruel, harsh things they've said that hurt other people and worse, how they enjoyed it getting their own back. Hurts they have given and hurts they have received and suffered but they don't want to give them up. Is any of this familiar to you? And you say, I'm not good enough. And deceptions in the present. Oh, if you knew what I'm really like. If you know the double life I lead. The different person I am at work. Or when I'm out with the boys. Or when I'm out with the girls. Have you seen female hen parties in, in EasyJet? Doesn't your heart sink when you see them? Well, okay, get off that, William, or we're in trouble again. Yeah. But, but who is worthy? Ah, but we say, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, but I'll do my best. I, I, I do my best, and that's a kind of, well, maybe the Lord will be gracious to me because I've done my best. Don't you believe it. Don't you believe it. Because your best, my best, is, isn't good enough. It's not good enough. There's a lot, and there should be, on the Reformation at the moment. I think it's Tuesday is the 500th anniversary of the nailing of the 95 Theses on the church door at Wittenberg. And what did Luther rediscover and re-emphasize? That we are unworthy? Well, the medieval Catholic Church would have believed that too. We are unworthy. That we're not good enough? Yes. But most important, that ultimately we can't do anything to save ourselves. No pilgrimages, no indulgences, no good works. We are not good enough. That's the bad news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is Jesus is. And let's move on from this, I'm not good enough, but I'm doing my best. That's the language of the lost. The lost. The gospel is, yes, that's right. Yes, you have to acknowledge that. But Christ died for the no goods. I came, he said, to seek and to save the lost. He mixed with people that I'm not very comfortable with. The people whose lives are very different from 
the life I aspire to. But he mixed with them the friend of publicans and sinners. That's the gospel. Third point. God's in, uh, intervention, the fact that we are unworthy. And then we come to the last point, which is these difficult verses, uh, the, the 22 to the end, where Jacob struggles with a man. Now, there's two things to say about this. First of all, life has its struggles. So Jacob, verse 24, was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. He was the angel of the Lord and Jacob wouldn't let him go till he blessed him. Today, people are struggling and people are struggling with God. I don't know, some of you are struggling with God. Why, Lord? Why, Lord? You know, serious illness comes and our plans for the future go out the window. Why, Lord? Dementia comes on parents or grandparents and the whole family emphasis has to change. Why, Lord? One of the children is struck down. It's not fair that they should go before I do. Why, Lord? I've got involved in bad company, experimenting with things, and I can't get out of it. Why, Lord? Jacob struggled with a man all night. And we have our struggles. And if you tell me you don't, I won't believe you. You have your struggles. I have my struggles. Going back, well, I'm older than many of you, longer than you. And I've had my struggles with God, haven't you? What he wanted to do with my life. The ministry wasn't very attractive when I was in my middle teens. And where he wanted to send me. I didn't want to spend 13 years in Londonderry slash Derry. Nor did I think I would end up in South America. And we had to struggle at this. We had to struggle. And we have struggled recently. Most recently, the health of uh, a grandchild. And you say, why, Lord? Don't you struggle? Come on. Oh, no, Christians don't struggle. We, we, we'll put the, the, the strong exterior. We all struggle. But we all have a wonderful promise. What happened to Jacob? He was blessed. His life was changed. Oh, yes. His life was changed. And he came out of the struggle with a limp. His hip went. 
and he had a limp the rest of his life. And in our struggles, struggling with the Lord, but seeking his will, his way, his blessing, our lives are changed. This hasn't been an easy passage, but I think it has been a rich one. What do we take away from it? We take away his presence with us. He takes the initiative. We take with us our unworthiness and our need. But acknowledging it, repenting, and seeking the Savior. We still have struggles, but we have the assurance that the one with whom we wrestle, the one whom we see perfectly in the life and ministry of his Son, the one we experience through the power of the Holy Spirit, is the one who blesses and who takes home. Let's pray. We're silent in your presence, Lord, as we listen for your continued address and conversation with us. Help us in our struggles. Assure us of your love and your total and absolute faithfulness. And lead us to the acknowledgement which is repentance of sin and the faith which looks only to Jesus is grasped by him and is led on victoriously to our home. Amen. As part of our prayers of intercession this morning, we're going to be praying for some of the projects that are supported by the money we give to the United Appeal. And if you want to know more about that, please do take a read of the leaflet you received this morning. Let's come before God together in prayer. O God of Abraham, O God of Isaac, O God of Jacob, we thank you that you are a promise-keeping God throughout all the generations. We thank you that 
when we look at our lives, we know we are unworthy, yet you take the initiative to bring us hope. And so, Lord, we are thankful this morning that we know that when we are unhappy, when we are very unhappy, even when we are totally devastated, we can find hope in you. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. We thank you for the hope we find in Jesus. And so as we have brought our offering to you this morning, we do so simply as a thankful response to that hope we have in you. Father, we want to pray for those this morning in our church family and those who are dear to us, who are struggling, who are suffering. Father, in particular, we want to pray for those who are ill, either at hospital or at home. Father, we pray for those who are continuing in treatment, for those who are facing test results, for those who have uncertain futures. Father, we pray that they would find their hope and their trust in you, our rock, our refuge, and our redeemer. Father, we want to give thanks to you this morning for the life of Kathleen Todd. We thank you for the hope that we see in her life, for her faithful service and witness in this place for many years, and for the way that she showed what it means to live a life of faithful obedience to you. Father, we want to pray for her family circle, for Trevor, for Barbara, for Eileen, and for all who knew her and who miss her. Would you comfort them? Would you be with them as they mourn? Would you show them hope? Father, as we look at the world around us, it's easy for us to lose hope. And Father, we know that tomorrow is another deadline for our politicians, and we want to pray for them. Father, we pray that you would help them to put their own personal needs to the side and help them to be people of peace who are able to find a resolution for the good of the entire country. And then, Father, we want to pray for our wider church. We thank you for the work of the United Appeal. We thank you that the money that we give does great things throughout this whole island and throughout the world. And so, Father, we pray for the work of our college. We pray for the principal, Stafford Caution. We pray for the faculty, and we pray for the students there, that you would strengthen them and equip them to do the work you have called them to well, and that as people are trained for the ministry in different ways, that you would use them to glorify your name in this island and beyond. Father, we thank you for the work of the congregation the Council for the Congregational Life and Witness of our denomination. And in particular, we want to pray for Rick Hill, our denomination's discipleship officer. We thank you for the hard work he does in helping us see how we as a, con- as a denomination can be disciples who make disciples. 
Father, we pray for all of the different congregations using the Essentials program that we are using in our evening services. Would you use that program to help people continue to think how we can be more obedient in our lives to Jesus and to grow as disciples who follow him? And we pray also for the Emerge Leadership Program as it continues to seek to find new and young leaders in congregations around the country. Would you help the right people to be involved and to step forward in faith and obedience to you? And Lord, we pray for the work that goes on overseas as a result of the United Appeal. And we thank you for the reminder in this booklet of James and Heather Cochran. Father, we continue to pray for them, praying that you would strengthen them and continue to work through them to do great things in Portugal. Father, we pray in particular for the daughter who's left in Portugal while the other is here at uni, that you would strengthen her and that you would help her to not miss her sister too much, but to be able to find friends and to be able to rest in you. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come together as your people and hear from your word, sing your praises and talk to you in prayer. And now, Lord, as we go out into the world, as we face the coming week, as we struggle through life, may we do so with you, aware of your presence, your keeping and your care. May we do so with hope, knowing what you have done for us and the promises that you have made. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.